Welcome to the Sober and Happy Podcast, where we talk about all things recovery-related, how to navigate the challenges that we'll face along the way on our journey towards our best lives, and how we could go from living a life of simply just being sober to a life where we're both sober and happy. I have lost count of how many times I've seen someone in recovery go through this pattern. They get sober, and then things are going really well. They're excited about their recovery. Things are starting to turn around for them. They're healing damaged relationships, and it seems like they're going to make it. Then, out of the middle of nowhere, they relapse. But was their relapse actually so sudden and unexpected? Were there warning signs they could have seen if they knew what to look for? Are there things they could have done to avoid the relapse? Well, that is what we're going to discuss today. So buckle up. This is going to be a great episode. In so many aspects of our life, we anticipate and prepare for unexpected events. We don't expect to get a flat tire, yet we carry a spare tire and everything to change it in our vehicle. We don't anticipate getting into an accident, but we drive cars that are crash tested, have airbags, and we wear our seatbelts when we drive. Neither of those precautions reduces the risk or removes the hassle of a flat tire or a car accident, but what they do is help eliminate the worst case scenarios if they happen. But when it comes to our recovery, many of us just wing it and hope for the best. We don't anticipate or prepare for the certain obstacles that will come with life. Yet when we face one of those obstacles unprepared, we often wonder why we relapsed over it. If we chose to drive without a spare tire and we end up stranded with the flat on the side of the road, we understand that is why we got stranded. And if we don't want to get stranded again, that we need to get a spare tire. I want to discuss today some of the most common hazards that we should look out for in our recovery journey and how we could prepare for them in advance so we don't end up stranded without the necessary tools to get back on the road. The first one I see often is the continued avoidance of the core issues that led to addiction in the first place. There are many reasons why I drank. Some are more surface level, like the fact that in the beginning it was fun. I enjoyed partying, but lots of people drink for this reason but never end up drinking alcoholically. I had deeper reasons why I drank beyond the point of it being fun. Some of these are obvious, like if you experienced childhood trauma, but some may be a little more sneaky. They may be subtle insecurities that alcohol and drugs may have seemed to solve. One way to discover these more subtle reasons is to think about how alcohol or drugs made you feel when you first used them. What need or desire did they fulfill? Did you feel comfortable in your skin for the first time? Were you able to finally socialize without the fear of rejection? Did it make you feel more comfortable around people you're interested in dating? Almost always, those desires still exist after getting sober. Often, one of the scariest things about quitting is that we think we'll lose what we thought alcohol was providing us. We worry that we'll never be able to have fun again, that we'll lose our social life, or that our social anxiety will keep us from doing some of the things we enjoy doing. So if we don't fill these needs with healthier, long-term methods, we'll be more at risk at reverting to what seemed to work before when all those fears and insecurities return. And they will return. Since most of us have been trying to avoid these things with substances for so long, continuing to try to avoid them will be the natural tendency when we get sober. 
We may not go back to our core addictions at first to avoid them. Most of us will gravitate towards other things we think that are not as bad as a form of harm reduction. That is why it is common to see people gravitate towards food, jump into relationships, get addicted to sugar, or desperately try to control everything and everybody around them. You'll hear the term cross-addiction thrown around, but I've always believed that cross-addiction is just unhealed souls still trying to find things outside of themselves to heal the pain inside that we feel. If we want to recover, we can't just simply quit the substance. We must recover from the deeper things that drove us to our addictions in the first place. I will admit, at 12 years sober, my default behavior is still often avoidance of discomfort. But I have an amazing therapist who calls me out and reminds me that the only way to heal is through and not around what I'm trying to avoid. I employ many strategies to work on the things that drove me to my addiction. For the really deep traumatic things, therapy has been a game changer for me. I know therapy can be expensive and may not be an option for everybody, especially if you don't have health insurance to help but there are more affordable and even free options available. You could look for support groups specific to what you need help working through, many of which are led by trained therapists. I find it also very important to have supportive friends, and not just the ones that encourage me, but the kind that will call me out when they see me start to stray down a path that might lead me somewhere I should not be. Ultimately, though, it comes down to the willingness to face the fears. I find momentum can be one of the most powerful motivators for this. If you're struggling to begin, start with one of the easier things on your list and face that first. Then when you get positive results from that, you will have the momentum to tackle the next thing on your list. The next obstacle I often see is that people lose motivation when the initial excitement from being sober wears off. You will often hear this referred to as the pink cloud in the recovery world. When you hear people talk about the pink cloud in recovery, it almost always is described as something temporarily that will certainly wear off, but that is not my experience. I think the problem is most people are initially motivated by pain, and the pink cloud comes from being removed from the toxic lifestyle of addiction. Imagine your addiction like getting on a cruise ship. You get on, everything is amazing at first, and then all of a sudden you start encountering some bad weather. But it isn't too bad at first, but next thing you know the storm gets worse until the ship is damaged, about to sink, and you end up on a life raft. While on this raft, all you could think of is, please save me, I will do anything if you save me, just don't let me die on this raft. After several days, you spot a beautiful tropical island in the distance. You reach the island and you are thrilled beyond anything you've ever experienced that you're not going to die at sea. This moment is the pink cloud. Then reality sets in. You're on a deserted island with no food or supplies. You realize that you don't know how to survive in this environment and you have no idea if and when someone will come and rescue you. And with each day that you're there, what used to be a beautiful tropical island that saved your life starts feeling like just another place that you're trapped in. That is what recovery is like if you only are motivated by pain avoidance. Many people never shift their motivation to the positive aspects of being sober. So they get stuck in the cycle of getting in enough pain to decide to quit, being excited to be sober initially, riding that pink cloud until it's gone, eventually relapsing, and then experiencing the pain of addiction again until it's bad enough to quit, and then keep repeating that process over and over. 
Pain is an amazing motivator. It is so strong that many of us will decide to face the incredibly scary step of getting sober initially. But pain often fades with time. We'll start asking ourselves, was it really that bad? We'll convince ourselves that our addicted life might actually have been better than our sober life is now. If we think back to the example of being stranded on the island, if we just sat on the beach waiting to be rescued and focusing on the fact that we don't know how to do anything, of course we will eventually give up. There is no hope in that scenario. But what if there was a resort on the other side of that island that we would have discovered if we just decided to explore our new environment? In recovery, there is a beautiful resort on our island. No matter how deserted your island may appear, it is there. We need to be willing to stop just sitting on the beach waiting for someone else to rescue us and take full responsibility for our own survival. We just have to identify the things we want in life and start chasing them. You may not find your resort the first, second, or even tenth time you go wandering looking for it, but you have to keep looking. And each time you go out exploring, even if you don't find it, you will gain experience and knowledge about your environment and yourself. You'll become stronger and more prepared. You'll start to discover yourself in the process. And what you might just find is that discovering yourself might just be the resort that you're looking for. That the treasure you've been trying to find outside of yourself has been inside of you all along. This brings me to the last point on this topic, which is many of us have unrealistic expectations. We expect everything to be perfect once we are sober. When everything is falling into place, we have little trouble staying sober. But as soon as life throws us a curveball, we throw our arms up and say, See, I'm doing everything right, but nothing seems to go my way. It's not even worth it. It doesn't matter how long you've been sober. It doesn't matter how good of a person you are. Life still has its ups and downs, and sobriety does not shield you from life's difficulties. People are going to disappoint us. Relationships will end and our hearts will be broken. People we love are going to die. Companies that we planned on working at for a while are going to face financial troubles and might lay us off. We will get sick and even may face major health issues. That is life. No one is immune to this. None of life's challenges will be easy, but the level of suffering will always be higher if we fight the inevitable and refuse to accept that fact. I know many people who say, well, I'm just the type of person that has to hit a brick wall a bunch of times before I learn my lesson. That is a choice and not a personality trait. And choosing to fight a brick wall is going to cause extra unnecessary pain. I know this because I have fought many brick walls in my life. I had unrealistic expectations that doing good will equal nothing bad happening to me. So every time something bad happened, I thought the universe was out to get me and I regressed every time it happened. I would spend days, weeks, months, and sometimes even years stuck in a place of anger, depression, and self-pity over an event in my life doing nothing but talking about how life is unfair. But every challenge we face is an opportunity to learn and grow. We can choose to push through them instead of giving up. I was at a Tony Robbins conference years ago, and he talked about shifting his mindset around this. If you know Tony Robbins' backstory, he faced a lot of adversity before he became the person you see now. He was raised by an abusive, addicted, single mother who had a lot of untreated mental health issues. Life dealt him a pretty bad hand and he used to get stuck on how unfair his life circumstances were and he was not on a path toward success. 
He talks about how he decided to shift his internal dialogue when life would knock him to the ground. Instead of saying, why me? He decided to start saying, ah, a worthy adversary. He began looking at life's obstacles and challenges as something that could be conquered, knowing that something better was on the other side of walking through those challenges. Hearing him tell this story made me think back to when I was a kid sitting in front of the TV playing Super Mario Brothers. Now, just having a Nintendo when I was a kid was an obstacle in itself. I was raised by a single mother, and $100 for a Nintendo in the 80s was not in the family budget. So I had two choices. I could either focus on how it wasn't fair that some of my friends' parents could afford to buy their kids a Nintendo, or I could do everything in my power to earn 100 bucks and buy one for myself. I pulled weeds, I mowed lawns, I sold baseball cards and candy to other kids at school, and I scraped together $100. Buying that Nintendo at that point in my life was one of my greatest accomplishments. I grew from that experience more than I would have if my mom had just bought me one. At that time, we had only one TV though, so I was battling my mom and my sister so I could get time to play the video game on that TV. But since I'd already conquered the challenge of getting myself a Nintendo, hustling again to earn money to buy a used TV for my bedroom came naturally because I already knew how to do it. I completely skipped the step of feeling sorry for myself and just got to work. But back to Super Mario Brothers. When you play a video game, you know there are going to be obstacles and challenges up front. You accept that as part of the game, and by accepting that, it is what makes the game exciting and fun. When you get almost through a level and one of those damn turtles takes you out, you don't say, this game's not fair, turn it off and quit. You have the mentality that Tony Robbins mentioned. You look at that turtle and say, ah, a worthy adversary. Then you figure out how to get past him the next time and you try again. And you keep trying until you finally conquer the level, only to be presented with the next level that is a little more challenging. But you're not upset about having to conquer another level. You're excited that you made it there, and you're also excited for the next challenge. That is how life works. We face challenges. We fail. We try again until we figure it out. And then we level up. Imagine how boring Super Mario Brothers would be if there's no challenges. Imagine if every level had no turtles, no holes to fall into, no fireballs to jump over, no hidden passages to discover, and no bosses to face at the end of the level. You just run by yourself on a flat ground until a castle appears at the end, and then you complete the level, and then you have to play that same level over and over again. How boring would that be? I bet you'd quit that version of the game quicker than you would with the ones with obstacles and challenges. But why in our recovery do we wish for the boring version of the video game with no challenges or obstacles? One of the biggest reasons people give up and drink again is because their sober life is boring. But they're not choosing to play the game of life. They're just trying to play the version where everything is safe but doesn't provide any fulfillment of accomplishment. And just as quickly as we had quit that boring version of the video game with no challenges, we quickly decide to quit the version of life where we try to avoid all of our challenges. Realize that there's going to be challenges, but your ability to face them without substances is a significant achievement. I challenge you to not only accept that life will have obstacles and challenges, but embrace it. Look at each one as a worthy adversary and know that you will level up every time you face and conquer the things you may want to avoid. Rather than waiting for everything to fall into place, plan and design the life that you want to live and chase it as hard as you did your addictions. 
Here's the secret no one told me when I first got sober. The pink cloud is always available anytime to anyone in their recovery. Yes, it may fade away at times, but when you are focused on growing, healing, and building a life that provides you lasting joy and fulfillment, it will always return, usually bigger and more powerful than before. The life you desire is within reach. Often all we need to do is stop sitting on the beach, waiting for someone to rescue us, and start looking for it ourselves. Once you do that, you'll often find that what you're looking for might just be around the corner and all you have to do is start looking for it. So start looking. Thank you for listening to this episode and I hope you're finding value from this podcast. If you are, I'm asking for two huge favors from you this week. Share the episode with one person and please subscribe to the podcast, both of which will help it grow. New episodes come out each Friday, so I look forward to connecting with you next week. And as always, thank you so much for listening and keep living sober and happy.